0: The Competitive 40K Network
1: presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, Nick Nanavati, and this week we have a return guest. One that is so heavily asked for uh, another brown friend of mine, all the way from across the pond, Vic VJ. Vic, how you doing?
0: Yo, Nick. Thank you so much for having me back on here. I'm I'm super excited to talk about this topic. I'm super
1: excited too. I also had forgotten how sultry your tones were, so I'm like <laughs> super excited, to, like I get to listen to that.
0: <laughs> Fantastic, making me blush. Making me blush.
1: There's actually you have a podcast of your own where people can listen to your sultry tones.
0: Yeah, that's right. Me, me, and David Gaylord, uh, we run a podcast called Fireside Forty K. Uh, We talk about our experiences in 40K and some kind of meta-relevant topics as we go along. And, yeah, if if you guys enjoy this content, I'm sure you'll you'll find something interesting in what we do as well. Absolutely. I find myself listening to your podcast fairly
1: often. So definitely, if you enjoy my show, you're going to enjoy VIX. Give it a listen. Fireside podcast. Uh, I listen to it on YouTube. I'm sure it's available on other podcast platforms as well. Yeah, it is. Awesome so vic you had quite the weekend this past weekend how was it dude ah oh
0: man i i you know i mean i've been playing singles for a while now and i've been playing big super majors really competing there but nothing can prepare you for the level of skill and intensity that wtc brings to the table it, it was just on a whole completely different level to what i'm used to and i love the challenge um i learned so much about 40k and uh, at this point, you know, any kind of teachings and learnings I can get from better players, I, I'll take it with with my arms open. And um, WTC gave me that in abundance.
1: Dude, that's so awesome, and that's really what we're here to unpack today. So for those of you who don't know, Vic is another uh, ward member who's really climbed from pretty much who's heard of Vic to <laughs> crushing at the top tables, representing his team on team in England, and absolutely murdering people with thousands of sons out there, in a very unique play style with it, too. So we're here to unpack all that. We're going to get to know Vic in part one of this two-part show. We're going to get to learn how Vic approaches the game, how he got to be where he is, how he got to be representing his country, what his approach to 40Ks, list philosophies, all that good stuff and then in part two which is of course for our patrons you can sign up on aow40k.com you'll get access to not only part two of this show where we talk about fixed thousand sons list in great detail all the hows and whys and what's and the matchups how he uses it on the actual table but you'll get access to all the other part twos of the other 202 episodes that we've recorded and you'll get access to our amazing discord server our ability to completely produce this show entirely hinges on you so you know what thank you so much for your support we can't thank you enough and go check out that part two all right Vic are you ready to unpack this let's do it let's do it tell me a story about yourself how did you get into Warhammer
0: so I graduated from university in 2015 and uh, I kind of had to move away for some of my training following that and I just had no friends left all of a sudden I walked into a local gaming store in the the town I was living in and uh, they were playing something with toy soldiers and I was like, "What? what is this? I just happened to go and talk to the two most competitive people in that area. They were Polish guys and they introduced me to Warhammer 40k, basically stepped straight into competitive 40k and been going since then. So that was about 2017 I really started playing. So what are we coming up to? About six years now I've been playing competitive 40k. Um, and progressively I just kind of kept an open mind and kept learning from people who are better than me. About a year or so in, I met a guy called Manny Chima, um, who showed me just how amazingly good someone can be at Warhammer 40K. And it was around that time uh, I won my first major and joined a team called Dice Down. And I was introduced to a bunch of other players who have been very successful, winning LGTs: Conrad, Malik, Alex Bedford. And they kind of guided me uh, most of the way to the stage where I am now. That's awesome. And one thing I find really common between
1: pretty much everyone we get on the show is basically you find people who are better than you and you play them until you get better. What was that journey like for you? Because it obviously didn't start out good enough to win a major or play Manny
0: or something. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you don't know what you don't know. And I think as you see someone play or do things to a higher level than you, you realize, okay, I can aim for that. I'm not going to get it straight away, but I'm going to process that and then just kind of go along my journey, gain experience, knowing what I'm aiming for. And, um, you know, now at this stage, so much of it feels like muscle memory. It's easy to forget the journey that you've been on and how much you've grown to come to where where you are. And I'm sure you have this, Nick. You're a phenomenal player. So you kind of completely able to reflect on what I'm saying here. And I think that is absolutely key. Find people who are on the same wavelength as you. Find people who are better than you. Accept loss as a way of learning rather than uh, a failure. And, uh, you know, you'll just continue to grow.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the hallmark of what makes someone able to get better, right? Reflect upon your losses or even your wins and just learn from things your opponent did and absorb it like a sponge and just continuously get better. And through trial and error and process and process. You'll pretty much get it. Absolutely.
0: And we are playing this game as a hobby. There's there's minimal stakes in it, especially for me without any. I mean, you've got big business behind it. I have got nothing like that. I'm playing this purely for my own enjoyment, and one of the biggest joys you can get is to see yourself grow as a technical player, um, see yourself grow within a community and gain friends and a social circle, and those things are achieved just by keeping a positive mindset. I'm glad you brought that up. It, you know, the social element
1: to this game and the community surrounding it is really what has kept me going and driven me to produce all the things that we've done here at Art of War and keep on playing 40k to the level that we played at, and it's without that community that's all kind of hollow, you know, that's what keeps me going. So for you to mention that as well is really resonating with me, but also one thing I find in the competitive 40k community is that you go around talking about people and hearing about people. And anytime I've heard anyone say anything about you, Vic, it's that you're just the nicest person ever with the sultry tones.
0: (laughs) Oh, I really appreciate that.
1: (laughs) Seriously. it's It's a good compliment, but how do you Maintain such a competitive mindset, like compete at the highest levels, represent the world team championships, or even for yourself in the singles tournament at like LGT and you know this is, goes beyond like not cheating or something, but just how do you always come off as such a pleasant person, even the thick of
0: competition? I think this is an important thing because um, you know I've talked about this on, on my podcast as well how you go through kind of stages of development in competitive 40k and everyone hits the same stage where all of a sudden they're on the up the rise up. They're going 4-1 at a tournament. They're looking at potentially winning tournaments. And you get this thing that, okay, I've come this far. I have to win. And it's a very dangerous mentality to fall into. I think once your goal becomes, I, I must win at a tournament, Warhammer is way too unpredictable for that, for that to be a healthy mindset. But if your goal is, I want to play as best as I can, and I want to continue to improve, I want to have a good time and enjoy the game that I'm playing, Those are all very healthy, positive mindsets. And, you know, I've always tried to make that my goal. I have been through a period of time where I've been a little bit more kind of stern, stressed, maybe a little bit less um, on my sportsmanship. But it was a short period of time when I realized it just isn't the right way to go about competitive 40K. It's a gentleman's game um, and gentlewoman's game. And, um, you know, the social contract is as important as the outcome of any game. So I think... Keep a positive mindset, enjoy your game with your opponent and focus on growth, your individual growth and everyone will enjoy playing you. Love that mindset, I really do. And I think you hit the nail
1: on the head, like don't let the pressures of winning get to you, really focus on just playing your best game and doing your best and learning and it'll naturally fall into place a lot more easily. And you'll find results reflect that as well. Absolutely. So for you, what does growth look like right now? I imagine as a little fledgling, growth was anything at that point, but now that you're like, uh, you know, competing at these super major tournaments and, and taking them down along with representing your World Team Championship. You started off by saying you learned so much this weekend. What are you learning when you go to these things?
0: At your okay, so WTC was an eye-opener for me because I've done so many years of singles, and singles is interesting. You You have so many points in a game where you may have got your strategy correct And you can create situations where you can play in a very low-risk fashion to end the game ahead of your opponent. You don't necessarily need to win by a lot. You just need to win by one point. And you can create those situations very early in a game where you're ahead, and then you can predict what your opponent will do. You know at this point that they're going to have to do something or they lose the game. If they don't do anything, they've lost the game. If they do something, you're prepared for that action. If you rinse and repeat that a thousand times, that's the mentality you get into. WTC and team tournaments are very different. You're scrapping for every single point for your team because winning by one point when you should have tried to push and win by 20 points is a completely different thing for your team and it could lose your team the round. So me having to see the game in that different way was something that didn't come naturally to me at all during my preparation. It didn't come naturally to me in my maybe my first or second game when I was actually at WTC. But by my third game, when I played Spain, I saw everybody was looking for every point of primary they could scrape, every point of secondary they could scrape, and continuing that to round five of games. That's when I realized there's a completely different level of precision and focus and intensity to the game that can be played. And all of those things I'm learning in the WTC, why can't they translate to the way I look at singles? Because if I reduce someone by five points at the start of the game, does that not make my journey easier towards the end of the game to win a singles game? And that's the kind of lessons that I've learned. I'm seeing a lot of things that I didn't see when looking at board state now.
1: Interesting. So it's not like what you describe. basically, is singles format competitive 40K is very risk averse. Like the higher you go on that competitive ladder, the more it's about like just sitting behind walls and trying to get your opponent to make a mistake or have to have to make a decision to come to you or accept losing passively. And that's all like in the first couple turns deployment matchup. That's all decided for you. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying, basically, is WTC has taught you not to only think in that mindset because the margin of victory matters. And by not thinking that mindset and seeing these new plays to affect the margin of victory, it's actually helped you see singles in a new way where you don't think it has to be so rigid, passive, just, you know, try to get ahead and stay ahead.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I think it's going to be interesting to see how my first singles tournament is after this, but I think you, like I said before, you don't know what you don't know. And when you don't see kind of the flow of the game in a certain way, there's no way of being able to apply it. So in WTC, seeing the flow of the game, like keeping track of your score and seeing, look, the little primary swings here and there will happen if I aim for it. Being able to translate those little tactics over to singles, I think is really powerful. And I would urge anyone to try and do some team tournaments and try and kind of gain some of those skills. It's very hard to describe unless you actually experience it. I think you're doing a great
1: job. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying. <laughs> I've gone to WTC eight times now, and every time I've come back learning so much. So I could not agree more. Um, you don't. Know, it, it exemplifies the idea of play people better than you, and like, where are you going to find tougher competition than WTC? But you know, still, anytime you can get that experience or just a different perspective, is going to really affect your ability to grow in this game. Mm-hmm. Oh, agree. So, Vic, let's talk more about your playstyle and your philosophies and your approach to 40k. I've always known you as an Eldar player, and lately you've been flirting a lot with these Thousand Sons.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Eldar is my favorite faction. Um, it has been since I started playing the game. Um, you know they're good
1: right,
0: now, right They're good right now, which actually kind of puts me off a little bit um, I, I in I a weird way. way.
1: I also like Eldar. I feel dirty when I play them
0: yeah and actually um for wtc i was assigned eldar as one of the factions i had to test so i was assigned csm eldar and t suns um and i would jump straight onto the eldar and i found it so incredibly boring Uh, i was on this triple rate night build double rate night build with those rate guard and it just didn't allow me to express any of my player skills so they I mean, I was fine with it, but they told me, "Look, Vic, you can play something a little bit more techy, something we have to grind for points, something like that. That might suit you a bit more." They put Manny on the Eldar, so uh, it kind of it kind of adds up. <laughs> <It adds. laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I was like, I read Manny's list. I saw two rathans. I was like, "Yep,
0: that's it." Oh, it makes sense. He would have got three if he could, but we managed to keep him away from that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was in my cafeteria about his lists in a video. I'm a little, like, I'm disappointed there isn't three. <laughs>
0: um, but I, I, there are two kind of aspects of Competitive 40K that I really enjoy. Uh, I love playing kind of balanced tricksy lists where it's got all of the tools in there. And I know you love this as well, Nick. So maybe I'm preaching to the right people I, here. I was
1: very excited to have this conversation with you. I'm not <laughs> gonna... <laughs>
0: um, I love my toolboxy list. Like, give me one tool that will kind of uh, happen You have it there in the bank and finding the ability to utilize that tool at the right moment to maximum effect brings me so much joy. So uh, I I try and incorporate a few things which people may have not seen before into my lists uh, because I find some value in them that others sometimes don't. So I tend to kind of innovate lists a little bit, um, at least in the U.K., and, you know, the Emperor's Children list, which became popular here, I was the first person to run that. And then we had the Eldar list at the end of night, which became popular. Um, I, I kind of started that trend off. And now we've got potentially the same thing with the Tsun. So a big part of my joy is not necessarily to spam the strongest thing, but to actually find some of the hidden treasures in inside of codexes. Now, you
1: and I feel the same way about
0: that. <laughs> and I think how you use something is so much more important than necessarily
1: what you're using. Mm-hmm. Um and right now is a time where it's so easy to fall into the mindset of just take the biggest, baddest gun, the most efficient stats per point, whatever you got. And that's because of the lack of codex steps. You know, we're only playing with one detachment each and all these indexes. It's relatively simple. I mean, 40K is never simple, but compared to what it could be in a year's time when everyone has a codex, that, you know, it's far less knowledge and information and combos in the game, which could lead it to be. A little more solvable by just having great stats and when there's things like Wraith Knights and Hornets and Gene Steeler called running about it really can feel that way so how do you approach the game with the mindset of despite all these broken rules out there the Wraith Knights of the world and coming back to life and custodies how do you find a way to win anyway with tactical
0: nuance It's an interesting one because, you know, I've uh, probably one of my weakest areas in 40k is, is my kind of ability to necessarily optimize target priority. kind of like shoot my guns. So that is absolutely perfect. I'm good at it, but I'm not, I'm not the best. I feel the same way. That's very interesting. Sometimes when I talk to other people who are extremely good at that, that's the way they actually visualize the game. So I'll talk to someone and they'll be like, okay, look, if this unit shoots this unit, this is the damage on average. And in my head, I'm just thinking, how many more variables are involved in this unit shooting that unit? We're not playing a game where two armies just look at each other and roll dice at each other. That actually tends to happen very rarely at the highest levels of competitive 40k. And I think once you start to look at that stuff, how movement, terrain, the flow of the game, threat ranges, how all of that incorporates, you can always find answers to even the biggest problems. Like, For example, with the Rape Knight, that was a a thing which is obviously broken, very, very strong. And in a team format, it's going to push some very high scores. And my role in the team was actually to be the person who could deal with the Eldar player if I get paired into it. And so a lot of my kind of practice was to find solutions to that problem. And I found a lot of the solutions in extending the threat range of my units so that I can kind of do something to the Eldar army from my deployment zone. We'll discuss that more in part two, but all the interesting stuff's coming in part two. Oh, um, tease. oh man, it's, uh, there's I so many cool tech pieces. Interesting. So uh, for me, my solutions were finding some way of interacting from my deployment zone to the opponent's deployment zone. And then the second thing was being able to really compress my army and hide and be able to stay hidden and that can sometimes involve having table choice in WTC or just using runes and stuff properly. Um, and I was able to, in practice, this is going to be so interesting for you, with the version of the T-Suns list I took to WTC, I did not lose a single game against Eldar. Fascinating. You're
1: literally going to unpack this. I'm mean, <laughs> for a visual play-by-play play play through your ears on how he did this. <laughs> so, when you're designing these lists, right, you're looking at the the small details and you're factoring in all the the nuances to actually achieving damage and wind conditions etc and you know it's not just what are the stats of my guns it's how do i apply my guns range line of sight if this then that what does that look like in terms of your visualizing the game like you said it's so mm-hmm. easy i would say for most players to just visualize like my predator shoots your rhino but beyond that is much more abstract what does that look like
0: sure so this is, a, this is a big stage of my development. It's going to be discussed here, which is the point when I stopped looking at the game as units looking at each other and started looking at it as the space between units and how the units interact with that space. So to kind of describe it, if uh, a unit can move 12 inches and then charge up to 12 inches, if you draw a circle in your head around that unit of 24 inches, this is the range in which that unit interacts and applies influence. The middle part of that range will be more intense. You're more likely to actually make that move and try and make a 7-inch charge than you are to make a 12-inch charge. So that's a threat range and a threat area that this unit expresses. And every unit has that. And some units have that much more, and some factions have the ability to influence that. T-suns being a perfect one because you're able to use temporal surge once, twice, and still activate and shoot your units. You can also do that out of deep strike. So actually you're able to apply threat to a huge amount of the board. Um, And and I think that's the right way to look at threat and visualize the game. And if you do that and just, I I know it's can be kind of overwhelming to think about, but it's one of those things that does come naturally to some people. So if some people are like me and can visualize it in that way, it's a very powerful way of finding safe spots and dead spots on the board where you know that if I'm engaging or moving towards this dead spot, I'll be able to be safe later in the game. And you can start to get situations where your opponent is unable to interact efficiently with you. And that's how you win against, say, armies like Eldar, who have incredible, outrageous power if they're able to just engage with you front on. Um, so I hope that made sense. It was a little bit funky.
1: No, I thought that was a really good example um... It actually kind of brings me to my next question, which is about what you value in terms of your list design philosophies. It sounds to me like you really value things that can extend your threat range or even make your threat range not linear, um, like deep strike, then move potentially twice. That's very hard to screen against and stop and just makes your army consistently threatening always. What do you think about um, points, though? I mean, just like the... The philosophy of what you're viewing the game, I don't disagree with it at all. It's centered around positional space, threat ranges, that kind of stuff. It's not centered around how I score my points or how do I deny points. So
0: where does that fall into your plan? So 10th edition is an interesting one because I think the ability to score the tactical secondaries. So let's ignore fixed for a second. So the ability to, ca- to score tactical secondaries is actually an extremely technical skill. That can be achieved with a lot less resources than people think i think you could introduce a lot of chaff into your list make your list relatively inefficient and make sure you can score all your secondaries but actually if you with the way this system works if you just have a few units in certain spots so one going towards a corner for investigate signals and engage one able to engage the middle for deploy teleport homers and area denial and then you're able to cleanse objectives And then the rest of your army can just be used for output and scoring the rest of the secondaries. You're able to um, kind of achieve everything you need if you play tactical secondaries. I think if you can kind of identify that early, you can make your list much more efficient without having too much chaff. So I do value um, trying to use the minimum possible resources for point scoring while still being able to score points. I think you can't miss secondaries, uh, in my opinion. So I always make sure that that's a priority.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. we hear a lot of people talk about like you have to bring chaff to be able to score secondaries, but you're you're trying to find that happy medium of just enough in very deliberate spots. And it makes perfect sense. One unit in the midfield can just as easily deploy teleport armors and do area denial or cleanse an objective all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One unit on the side can get engaged in all fronts and investigate a signal. And then like behind any lines, similar ideas. So you're really focused on not necessarily having Um, Too many units to over-redundantly do it, but just having units in the right spots makes perfect sense What happens though with the timing of it? You can draw the wrong card at the wrong time There's always that random chance where both players are dealing with that But if you only have certain expendable resources, right? And you expend them to go get engaged in all fronts or area denial or whatever They die and then next turn is when you draw deploy teleport homers or later on you draw something and you don't have that resource
0: anymore Absolutely. So, I think uh, how I've been doing it with my T Sons design is that the first turn I need to be able to achieve these things. The second turn onwards, my army has had a turn to progress up the board and set up into more advantageous positions. So, I think there's more than enough that you can kind of build into most lists to be able to, with an approach turn, then continue to score. So, yeah, you, uh, you do need layers of stuff. And I think what you've just mentioned there is something that can happen to armies with a small number of units. Let's take uh, Jack's Grey Knights, any Imperial Knights army, any Chaos Knight army, or anything which uses just a small number of big things. Sometimes you can get locked in the position where your big stuff, your expensive stuff, has to do secondaries rather than actually playing the game. Now maybe I didn't mention that before because I never play armies like that. That's just not what I do. I always do have an abundance of stuff. I just don't consider it chaff. For a chaos, for an Imperial Knight player, my um, Exalted Sorcerer on disc at 105 points is is probably chaff for them. But for me, it's uh, you know a very valuable unit that also happens to be able to score points.
1: So are you willing and able to throw away five or Rick Marines or a character to do, like go do a cleanse as needed?
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Definitely. I think you just don't miss your secondaries. Uh, You keep scoring points. You have to keep applying that pressure all the way through the game.
1: Yeah, I think in 10th edition, that's more important than anything. I I don't really hold cards pretty much ever through my turns. Even if I can't score it, I just trade it out to keep Mm -hmm. moving. Absolutely. Um, In terms of primary, though, when I think of Thousand Suns, I don't think of durability. I think of, like, guys trying to hide behind walls and, like, Sniping with psychic powers, basically, do devastating wounds. Not camping objectives with Terminators in the center, and your Terminators, especially, aren't even on your list. You don't have anything durable. So, <laughs> and then you play Eldar as your other faction. So, obviously, in a traditional sense, nothing durable there. So, stylistically, how do you attack primary? You know,
0: that's that's important. Primary is a really variable one because it really depends on the mission. Um, there are a number of missions which give you ten points for holding two objectives in tenth edition. And those ones can, and it's a maximum of 10 points. Um, and those ones are usually very good for the t sons because they can find a second objective that's safe. It's when they try and hold on to the third objective, I think they struggle because they're a little bit fragile. Um, I think another way of looking at it is, are you trying to score as much primary as you can? Or are you also considering your ability to reduce your opponent's primary? And I think T-Sons is one of those armies that is very much able to reduce the opponent's primary with what we talked about with threat range. If we take Magnus, for example, being able to move Magnus two additional times beyond his normal move is, is a move of, you know, 42 inches. It could be 48 if he gets the plus two move. That with OC6 is usually able to deny someone's primary or capture their home objective. So as long as you're considering the differential between your primary and the opponent's primary, that can either be in the form of holding two objectives on one of these whole two for ten missions or actually denying your opponent's primary so you only have to hold one to keep up. I think that's perfectly fine for these armies that are perhaps a little bit weaker at primary.
1: That's a great point. I think a lot of players probably make the mistake of getting overly aggressive and trying to hold, get on two objectives and defend them or hold three objectives and defend them against certain factions, especially the more aggressive ones. It's just not going to work. It's going to get you tabled by all you're trying to hold primary. So instead of making the focus fighting for the small bit of space you can to get 10 points on primary, Mm -hmm. why not just attack their primary and and allow them to exist on more of the table, but not where it counts,
0: if that makes sense. Yeah, there's so many different options. And I think that's one of the reasons why particularly Thousand Suns is one of the more technical high-skill armies to play. Um, Because you have all of these options available to you and all of these different ways of playing the game, and you have to decide which one is best for the situation. Um, And that's one of the joys of playing an army like Thousand Sons.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we have teased the Thousand Sons enough. Why don't you go through and and walk us through the list you piloted uh, to be undefeated
0: at the WTC. Sure, no problem. So I've used Thousand Suns, and I did have access to Chaos Demons. Um, I've taken a whole load of characters in Nick, and don't f- think I didn't see your reaction to the number of points I spent <laughs> on characters in this I counted. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so I've got a few guys on disc. So I've got Iron Man on a Disc of Zinch. I've got two Exalted Sorcerers on Disc of Zinch. I've got three Infernal Masters in this list, one with Arcane Vortex, one with the Umbrolific Crystal, and one without any upgrades. We've got a Thousand Sun Sorcerer with Lord of Forbidden Lore, and we've got Magnus the Red. We've then got five units of Rubric Marines. They've all got Warp Flamers, so there's no Bolters in this list. And each unit has a Soul Reaper Cannon, except for one of the units, which just has all Flamers, which is Araman's unit. Got a Mutalid Vortex Beast, two Thousand Suns Rhinos, a unit of Zangor Enlightened, and the best unit in the list is the Changeling at the end. Best unit in every game. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. So this the first thing that strikes me is, is not the thousand points in characters. It's actually that there's no Terminators. Where where are they?
0: The Terminators are an interesting one. So, I mean, I was speaking to Jack a little bit about this, and I think he went on a journey with me. Now, a, a, a similar journey that I went on. I will just talk about it from the Team England side of things. So
1: on, Let me summarize the Team America side of things before you go on. Jack's side of things was,
0: I'm a green Knight player now. (laughs) So (laughs) I think Jack does play Thousand Suns as well. So he kind of had the choice, right? So I don't know exactly what happened when, which decided he would play GK. But for us, we actually dropped Thousand Suns quite early in the process. um, Because we were running this list that was popular in the meta. We were having a little look at what's doing well in singles. A lot of events were in America, and everyone seemed to love these 10 Terminators. We put them on the board, we tried to decide what they would be good against, and they were kind of mediocre against everything. A lot of points go into that Terminator unit, and it's awesome. The output is absolutely huge. So I think when people see a list without the 10 Terminators, they'll be like, how does it actually kill anything? Does it do any damage? And what we found, or I I did most of this, what I found was um, that actually there are more efficient ways of using the points of the Terminators for output and also because all your points aren't concentrated into one unit you have the ability to split your output so you can kind of put two units into one thing if you need to or one unit into something that you need to without investing the full 500 point terminator brick um and i enjoyed the list a lot more after i tried that we dropped the t suns and i was like look guys let me try one more time to make something that that works across the board and I found that the Infernal Masters were incredible, the Thousand Suns, uh, the Exalted Source run disc was incredible, and I kind of made a list built around those two, and then we were like, oh, wait a second, this kind of wins against everything. And here That's we are. Nice. That's so cool. I'm so excited to
1: unpack this properly, because you know everyone I know has been running Terminators, and then all of a sudden, this wild Thousand Suns <laughs> shows up, has no Terminators, and beats the entire game. So I'm extra excited to figure out <laughs> what this does. Listeners Thank you so much for sticking with us. Vic, thank you so much for coming on. You are an absolute pleasure. Join us in part two, everybody. That's going to be on AOW40k.com. It's our Patreon. You can support us for five bucks a month. We've been keeping the show going for four years. You can help make it five. Your support means the world to me. Vic, thank you so much for coming on.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And, uh, you know, I'd really recommend trying to join us for part two because I'll I'll really go into the detail. I'm just going to shut up and listen in part two. (laughs) So it's the Vic show. All right, everybody. We'll see you there.
1: like what you just listened to
0: check out art of war down under an art of war unbroken on the competitive 40k network the art of war 40k.com